Hey, my name's Hayden Carroll. Welcome to the Faithful Perspective Podcast, a series where we discuss together those key gospel principles that lead to a successful, joyful, and productive life for Latter-day Saints and friends. Hey guys, welcome back to our Faithful Perspective Podcast. If you haven't already, check out episode one. It's an interview I have with my father, Carlos Carroll. We discuss his experience serving in the YSA as a bishop and a member of the Tempe, Arizona uh, YSA stake presidency. We had a wonderful conversation in episode one. Go check it out. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast right now, I have an invitation for you to think about. Do you know a Latter-day Saint that has something important to say? Someone who Latter-day Saints could benefit from getting inside the head of? someone who's passionate about something gospel-related, if you know somebody who I might be able to interview on any given gospel or church topic, please send them my way. Please email me at faithfulperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. That's faithfulperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. I have a treat for you here in episode two. I've had the privilege of interviewing Rick Dalton. He's a Latter-day Saint, gospel scholar, and United States constitutional expert. He really knows his stuff. You'll hear a few things within the interview itself, but I wanted to give you a few fun facts and details about Rick's life and work. Uh, He received a Bachelor of Arts in Statesmanship from George Wythe University. He's a graduate of the National Center for Constitutional Studies in Washington, D.C. From 1978 to 1998, Rick served in the Mesa Police Department here in Arizona as a patrol officer, a field training officer, a crime scene officer, a community relations specialist, a school resource officer, a police academy instructor, and a firearms instructor. From 1998 to 2013, Rick worked as a school teacher, a history and economics instructor at Heritage Academy in Mesa, Arizona. He also worked as a baseball and a softball coach. Some of the capacities that Rick has served in in the community in the past are president of the American Citizens and Lawmen Association, president of the Arizona Crime Prevention Association, a legislative chairman for the International Society of Crime Prevention Practitioners. He was part of the Fraternal Order of the Police, and he is currently the executive vice president and legislation liaison of the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. Some other community service and awards are a life-saving award with the Mesa Police Department, He has received the Arizona Safety Association Howard Pyle Safety Award. He served as a member of the City of Mesa Constitutional Week Committee. He's worked with the Who's Who in the West. He has been an editor of Aid and Abet Police and Military Newsletter. And he is currently a field instructor for the National Center for Constitutional Studies. With that impressive resume, let's go ahead and uh, jump into the interview. I hope you enjoy my wonderful conversation with Rick Dalton. Rick, thank you so much for uh, being willing to be our second guest on our Faithful Perspective podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Looking forward to our discussion. Well, I I really, really appreciate you're quite what I would call an expert on the topic we're going to talk about today. But before we dive into the actual topic, uh, would you mind just giving us a brief introduction for our, our listeners, maybe a little bit about your conversion story to the church, to the gospel that you've told me in the past? Um, oh, by the way, let's say this. Uh, I've known Rick for, personally, I've known you for what, almost 10 years, I think since 2009, actually. So over 10 years. Rick was my freshman, sophomore, junior, and junior, I think, uh, government teacher. He taught me American history. He taught me world history, economics. Uh, you know, I went to high school at Heritage Academy in Mesa, Arizona, which, Rick, you can tell us a little bit about your experience there, but... Uh, that's how I know Rick. Rick also was on the Mesa PD, which I'll tell you a little bit about today, uh, with my uncle, 
uh, my dad's brother. So he's known my family for many more years than I've been alive. Um, so it's just such a pleasure to have Rick. So thank you so much for being here. And I'll let you tell a little bit more about those things. Uh, but let's start with your conversion story, a little bit about your history and your career, um, some of the constitutional seminar work that you've told me about in the past, and then uh, we'll go from there. Let's start there with your conversion. All right. Well, sure. My, <clears throat> my story is, is one that, uh, that highlights the idea that you may be a member of the church, but it's possible that you have not been converted or born again, as is required. I was one of those. My ancestors on both sides of my family joined the church in England in 1841. They came and lived with the prophet in Nauvoo, went through the whole terrible tribulation period there, came across the plains, and settled in Salt Lake City and helped to colonize some of the areas, including the first capital, uh, which was Fillmore, Utah, the first capital of Utah. So I have that great heritage. And uh, I was raised in the church. My, my dad was not very active. My mom was. I went to church. I went to high school. I went to seminary, four hours of early morning seminary. Uh, and so I knew about the gospel. I knew about Jesus Christ because I was taught those things, but I did not know him personally. I didn't have a personal relationship. And uh, because of that, when I got into college after graduation, I got uh, into, you know, the, there's a group of courses called the humanities courses in in college and and you get into existentialism and uh, higher criticism of the bible and the the idea that there really are no absolutes and and uh that you everybody can have their own moral code that kind of stuff and uh man uh, my my foundation was pretty weak and it crumbled and within uh uh Three or four years after I graduated, and it was it was very very gradual. I made choices, uh, a, a few at a time. That any one of them by themselves wouldn't have destroyed my testimony or anything. But eventually, I ended up on drugs, injecting meth, on the beaches of San Diego. No money, no friends, no place to live, no car, no job, and I didn't really have a life. I was suicidal. Then one night I had a beautiful experience with a, first of all, I gave a sincere prayer. I really needed help. Uh, I, you know, I told the Savior, I'll give you my life. I will serve you. I promise if you get me out of this, otherwise I want to die. So it was a very sacred and spiritual experience. And from that time forth, I've moved forward. Uh, the Lord has been with me every step of the way. It's one day at a time, and it wasn't easy. And I make a few steps forward and a couple steps back. And, but the Lord has been with me. He keeps his promises. And I've tried to keep mine. And now um, I have so many blessings, it's, it's hard to believe. Uh, 20 years as a police officer was a great experience. 15 years teaching high school was a great experience uh, being a member of the church and, and seeing the gospel actually work. And uh, I have a temple marriage. My wife passed away about 12 years ago, but we're sealed in the temple and we have an eternal family unit. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, so I have nothing but joy to look forward to as long as I keep on the covenant path. And I'm so grateful for that. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that. 
brief, and I'm sure there's so many more details there, but thank you just for the, the brief introduction. Uh, so tell us now, uh, well, how long ago was that? How many years ago? What year do you th- would you say that that experience happened? <laughs> well, it, it isn't a matter of guessing. It was September the 4th, 1972. I'll never forget that day. And so how many, I have to do some math on my head. What's 2020 minus 72, 1972? 48 years as by my, Four. I didn't teach math, but I think it's about 48 years ago. That's, and so 48 years later, tell us uh, what's, your, what's your role in your award right now and tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, I'm, 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 I'm just happy to be involved in the gospel and that the Lord has, has found some places to call me to work and to serve. And, and uh, I'm currently the ward mission leader. I have uh, served in many, you know, many different ju- capacities and callings in the church. I've been in, on a bishopric. I've been elders quorum president. I've been high priest group leader. I've been on a high council. And what's interesting is this calling right now is the, my favorite calling of any I've ever had in the church, working with missionaries who I call the Lord's missionary brigade the savior's missionary brigade would you expound just a little bit about that because i i know that that's really it's a large part of your life right now it it is i uh i i have found joy um in serving serving missionary of course you know we serve the ward and and we uh we we help the the full-time missionaries get people to teach and i i really enjoy sitting in on lessons but I have found, I would call it, kind of call it a calling. I don't know what it is. I love to serve missionaries. I help them in any way that I can, not just the ones assigned to our ward. Uh, I've kind of adopted the whole zone, about 20, roughly 20 missionaries. And, and I just like to help them. Uh, sometimes it, when they get home at 9 o'clock at night and it's cold, believe it or not, in Arizona it gets cold. <laughs> I drop off hot chocolate unannounced. Uh, when the on in the summer when they're on bikes, I uh, give them a ten dollar gift card to Circle K. So when they're driving around and it's a hundred and ten and they're dying, they can stop in at a Circle K and get something to drink. I uh, I've been invited to give some of them a, a, a priesthood blessing. Uh, I also help some with musical talent. I have a friend with a recording studio and. And we've recorded some wonderful songs, original songs by these missionaries about the Savior and about missionary work. And uh, I really see and appreciate, maybe because I didn't serve a mission, when I was doing my stuff, that's when I should have been on my mission. Maybe it's kind of a, a payback for me. But uh, I really enjoy it. And, uh, and I get so much joy from doing it. So thank you so much for for giving uh, yourself really to the Lord to the missionaries. I I know and I've I've I mean I'm I'm in your ward. We're in the, Rick and I are in the same ward, and I've encountered some of these missionaries, and they have nothing but wonderful say wonderful things to say about uh, Brother Dalton. So not to derail too far, but you mentioned music. Can you give us a thirty second synopsis about your history with music? <laughs> I have well, music is the universal language. I hope everybody, and, and my motto is, please, whatever you do, don't die with your music still inside of you. Um, and I've been involved in bands since I was 14. So I started playing drums, and then I picked up guitar, 
from the from the guys in the band and and I play both now and a few other things and uh, and I've been in all kinds of been in a country band, been in a jazz band, been in a classic rock band. In fact, you and I, Hayden, we we performed. Was it a Christmas? Yeah, it was a Christmas party. for the Christmas party for the ward. The two of us together and yeah, what was and, our band name? And we sang was some it, I can't remember what was it. <laughs> <laughs> burning pancakes or no, no was it, that it that no. was one of my bands. yeah no you, oh the loose connection was that it i i think I, are you talking we, about the deplorables band no i can't i, think rem- it, I, I think can't was, remember you've had I, so many <laughs> i think we called ourselves the loose connection yeah or, <laughs> well we only had one gig or so. the elastic band That's yeah another. maybe that was it maybe it was the elastic I, band we had the elastic band and it was we had a lot of students that i was in the band a lot oh, okay. of students from Heritage were in that band over several years. Okay, we did concerts and, but anyway, music is tremendous. And uh, so, what well, what instruments do you play? Well, bass, drums, guitar, mandolin, ukulele. Uh, I even have a a cigar box guitar, which was made by hand from a real cigar box by a friend of mine. It's a four stringer. Play that. Uh, like I said mandolin. Oh, and keyboards a little bit, but mm-hmm. but uh, I played actually keyboards part of the time in one of the bands. So, so tell us how many uh, how many guitars do you have, <laughs> and, and which one is your favorite? Well, at last count, I think it's fourteen. Uh, I just what's it, the most you've ever had? Though? That's not the most I've ever had is eighteen. Okay. And I'm trying to unload, as you know, but, but you also know that I just bought another one the other day, but I just gave it to one of our sister missionaries. Oh, okay, that's fine, yeah. Uh, and to, because she's got, anyway, yeah, I just gave it away. So <laughs> so what, what's your favorite guitar right now? Tell us. Uh, I think I have two, and, there, and, and that's because of two different styles. It's like, who's your favorite kid? And I guess you can't say, at least you don't want to say which one is your favorite in front of the rest of them. <laughs> right. Well, they're not here right but now. But since so. they're all, all my guitars are downstairs, um, I, I, uh, my uh, uh, Fender Telecaster is just awesome. One of my, it's, that's one of my two favorites. And the other one is a Gretsch. It's a Brian Setzer model, hollow body, uh, big hollow body. It's beautiful, you know, beautiful paint. It's a signature model, Brian Setzer, and I, I it, does great with with jazz and blues and 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 you can play you know anything on it but uh, those are my two favorites those are the ones i use mostly in performing sure well we need to have a whole separate episode on uh music <laughs> uh theory of music and, and <laughs> rock and roll history <laughs> well i've been yeah i've been through a lot of that that's for yeah. sure well, that's so awesome thanks for for sharing that my so pleasure let's jump into a little bit more of, of just your history to give the viewers uh and the listeners just a little bit more background on you would you just tell us a little bit about some of the constitutional seminars that you've put on and, and those organizations that you're a part of oh sure sure i uh i have been a field instructor for it's the national center for constitutional studies uh, it was originally, when it was founded, called the Freeman Institute. That's back in uh, 83 or something like that. It was founded by Dr. W. Cleon Skousen, who is a, was a member of the church and a, a, a famous author. He's written over 50 books. And uh, he formed that organization to, to try to get the members of the church involved in freedom. Uh, at, he formed it at the direct request of President David O. McKay. So it was called the Freeman Institute, then they changed the name. Uh, and it's still currently, we do seminars around the country, and there's a website, nccs, 
org. Nancy Charlie Charlie Sam. That's phonetics how we see it on the PD. Dot org. And, oh no, I'm sorry. It's dot net. Forgive me. NCCS.net. They have wonderful. You can uh, they have a store there. You can buy the books and publications. So I've taught that for quite a while. I'm not teaching much of those anymore because they demand for those seminars. But I've taught over 50 seminars. It's an all day event all over coast to coast, north, south, east, and west. Um, but currently, as you know, I'm teaching a, a study group, and it's in the home of your parents, as you know, and, and it, we are using the same materials, and we're going through uh, the, the manual called Proclaim Liberty, which is a scripture. It's, on the, it's inscribed on the Liberty Bell. Proclaim liberty throughout the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. And so that meets every couple of weeks. And if any of your listeners are in the Mesa area, I'd invite them to come. As long as your parents say, okay. Absolutely. We've got roughly a dozen that come in some, some couple of days. It's not quite that many. But, but we really enjoy going through the Constitution and the principles of liberty. Um, I also work with, I'm the executive vice president and the uh, legislative liaison for the, Na- the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, CSPOA.org, if you'd like to check us out. And uh, we do training for law enforcement officers. Right now we're in the process of, uh, we just created a, a curriculum for police reform, and there is some reform that needs to be done. Uh, the attitude of the cops these days when they come out of the police academy is more like a supervisor uh, or a warrior. Uh, but that's not the, the tradition and that's not the real foundation. We're supposed to be a shield rather than a sword. Now, when you're defending your life and liberty, you got the shield and the sword. Sometimes you have to use the sword. But the servant mentality is not taught that much. So we're trying to get to that to, to make these officers realize that the only, only proper function of government is to protect people's rights, period. There is no other one. The Declaration of the Independence says that, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. So, and I work on legislation. Uh, we try to find legislation that improves freedom and try to support it. And then we try to find legislation that restricts freedom. And there's plenty of that. You don't have to look too hard. And we try to make sure that doesn't get passed. Um, trying to think what else I have, uh, well, I've been involved in all kinds of other things before, but, but, uh, currently those are the two things I'm, I'm involved in. I, you know, I was on the, the constitution week commemoration committee for the city of Mesa. Uh, I've been the president of the Arizona crime prevention association. There's a, there's a lot of things that I, that I've done and, uh, and I'm proud of those things that I've done. Uh, We've done a lot of good. I uh, hope so. No, you have. And, and I, I wouldn't, and, and you guys will, will see this or hear this in Rick very soon. He is nothing short of a spiritual giant. And uh, he's very passionate, which is why that I, 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 the reason I've invited him to be our second guest here on the podcast. And you're going you're gonna to hear that. Now, before we jump in, Rick, to really the material that, that you've uh, prepared for today, which I'm very excited for. I just want to read two things really quickly for our, our listeners that I'm sure that you can give comments on. Um, but just to kind of give relevancy, uh, the Constitution of the United States 
is an inspired document by, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we're going to read, uh, I'm going to read something from the Discourses of Wilford Woodruff, who is the fourth uh, president of the church, president and prophet of the church. And also I'm going to read a revelation from DNC 101 verse 80 that Joseph Smith received in the words of Jesus Christ himself regarding the Constitution. So let me just read those quick, and then if you have any comments on those, and then we're going we're gonna to be on our way here. Here is uh, the words of Wilford Woodruff, and it's the Discourse of Wilford Woodruff, pages 161 to 166. He says, I will here say that two weeks before I left St. George, the spirits of the dead gathered around me, wanting to know why we did not redeem them. Said they, you have had the use of the endowment house for a number of years, and yet nothing has ever been done for us. We laid the foundation of the government you now enjoy, and we never apostatized from it, and we, but we remained true to it and were faithful to God. These were the signers of the Declaration of Independence, and they had waited on me for two days and two nights. I thought it very singular that notwithstanding so much work had been done and yet nothing had been done for them. The thought never entered my heart from the fact, I suppose, that heretofore our minds were reaching after our more immediate friends and family. I straightway went into the baptismal font and called upon Brother McAllister to baptize me for the signers of the Declaration of Independence, and 50 other eminent men, making 100 in all, including John Wesley, Columbus, and others. I then baptized him for every president of the United States, except three, and when their cause is just, somebody will do the work for them. And DNC 101, the Lord says to Joseph and to the saints, and for this purpose, I have established the constitution of this land, with a capital C, by the way, by the hands of wise men whom I raised up unto this very purpose and redeemed the land by the shedding of blood. There you have it. There is the relevancy to Latter-day Saints. Rick, tell us about what are your, what are your thoughts on those it's, two things? It's not very vague, that's for darn sure. Let me just read another little section, another verse from DNC 101. For the laws and constitution of the people which I have suffered to be established should be maintained for the rights and protection of all flesh according to just and holy principle. The Lord attended the freedom uh, that this Constitution uh, protects to be spread throughout the world. The founders believed that the most important export of America would be freedom. And all flesh deserve it, that's for sure. And uh, we as Latter-day Saints, we are accountable because of what we've been taught and exhorted and commanded and pleaded with by the prophets. Uh, let me just share one quote with you from, the, from President David O. McKay. He said, other than being one in worshiping Jesus Christ, there is nothing in this world upon which this church should be more united than in preserving and defending the Constitution of the United States. End quote. And he also went on to say, the priesthood is responsible primarily for helping to defend it and protect the Constitution. And if they let it be destroyed, those priesthood bearers will lose their priesthood and their salvation and their liberty. Uh, I didn't say that. <laughs> the prophet said that. That's why we have in the scriptures an area, a place where uh, the scriptures say more than once, many are called, but few are chosen. And if we use unrighteous dominion, uh, 
And as a matter of fact, if we allow the government, which is our agent, to violate people's rights without our strongly opposing it, we are individually accountable. You can check DNC section 134. But uh, to me, there's, there's no excuse. We are commanded to defend it. There's a book I'd like to recommend real quick. I'll ha I have several other ones, but it's called Many Are Called, But Few Are Chosen. And it talks about how we use government to oppress our neighbors. And if we allow it, we're accountable for it. If we oppose it and do our best to stop it, then we're not accountable. But we will be held accountable. It's by Elder H. Verlin Anderson. He was the first general authority appointed by President Benson after President Benson became the prophet. They've written a book together called The Constitution and the Book of Mormon, which is another one I, I highly recommend. But uh, it talks in there how we are accountable, and we don't realize that. You know, many people pull back from politics and say, oh, it's, it's a dirty word. You know, by the way, the founders called politics the divine science. Why? Because the proper role of government was given directly by the Lord in the scriptures. The Mosaic law, it's all there. And, um, but today it's a dirty word, so we pulled back and away from it. We shouldn't do that. Another commandment from the Lord says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That means not just stay away from them, but it means go out after them and, and defeat them. That's what it means. That's a commandment to all of it. So, Rick, tell us a little bit about, and, and you have several books that I want to get to recommending to our listeners. Can you tell us probably... I mean, the most important book on the planet this, to this day, Joseph Smith said it's the keystone of our religion. Oh, yeah. What's been your experience? Even though the Book of Mormon does not mention the United States Constitution, because obviously it wasn't around back uh, a thousand years ago, uh, what's been your experience with the principles of freedom, liberty, uh, with the Book of Mormon? Would you tell us about that? I sure will. long time ago, just as I had been uh, hired on the Mesa Police Department, and the, the academy was three months away, so I had some time in between. Uh, a, a great, one of my great heroes and mentors, Louis Stradling, who was on the Mesa City Council and helped Brother Skousen write his great book, The Making of America. I met with him in Mesa, and he taught me and, and, and uh, expounded to me the principles of freedom out of the Book of Mormon. <laughs> it blew me away. Now, I'm holding in my hand one copy of the Book of Mormon where I have gone through and I put a tab every place the Book of Mormon talks about freedom, liberty, uh, proper laws, uh, improper laws, representative government, uh, judges chosen by the people. So the Book of Mormon is our latter-day roadmap to actually get back to freedom and liberty. The, the stories that, that are told there, and especially in the book of Alma, which we're reading right now in the, the uh, you know, Come Follow Me program, uh, it, it shows a lot about the, the, uh, the, the corruption of the laws and, and what they've done. And we remember in the Book of Mormon that, uh, was it Messiah who w wanted to pass it, the kingdom on to his son? And his son, who was his son? Al? No. Well, anyway, uh, 
King Mosiah had a son named King Benjamin who had a son named King Mos- or Mosiah. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, whichever one it was, the last Mosiah mm-hmm. wanted to pass it on to his son who said, I don't want the judgeship. I don't want the judgment seat. So the king said, he appealed to the people, said, you need, then you choose your leader. And that was the beginning of representative government in the Book of Mormon. Right in the first or second chapter of Alma, that's where it started. And they called it the reign of the judges. The interesting thing is that of all the, the centuries that are covered in the history in the Book of Mormon, from the Jaredites in 2200 BC to the end of the Book of Mormon in 400 AD, out of all that time, a third of the pages in the Book of Mormon, roughly a third, are devoted to a period of time of 125 years out of that 2,500 years. Why is that? That's the reign of the judges. That's when they had representative government, and it teaches us how it should be set up, that they should be chosen by the people, and that there should be um, uh, laws and judgments. And, and it was basically a nation of laws, not of men. And that's the rule of law is one of the fundamental principles of, of, the, of the constitutional system, which has been. Uh, tattered and and the boy were <laughs> anyway well that reminds me i mean along with the principles of freedom and liberty we also learned in the book of mormon about the a group called the gadian robbers who were 100 percent against that and almost a form of prophecy for our day in a way and we don't have to dive too deep into that but would you just talk a little bit about gadian robbers and of, of course their strategy i'll give you my personal opinion the gadiantans are among us today the same Oath-bound societies, secret societies, that Satan set up and promoted. In, and, and notice the Gadiantans, their main, main goal was to take over the judgment seat, to take control of the government, so that they could, could have more power, more corruption, and, uh, more, more money, more income, control, take the, the wealth from the people. I mean, it's happening today. And so that's the situation. And President Benson prophesied, and so did the Book of Mormon. When you see these things shall come among you, you must awaken to a sense of your awful situation. And if we let these evil uh, anti-freedom government policies get above us, we are accountable. In fact, this promised land is ours only as long as we live the commandments of God. Otherwise... (laughs) The Lord says we will be swept off. Can we go into the Book of Mormon together? Would you just share with us maybe one or two of those passages? Let's let's give the listeners an example of something in the Book of Mormon that you have highlighted that, I mean, I'm looking at the book right now. You have probably, what, 2030 maybe marks at yeah. least? Yeah, tab, tabs where it mentions mm-hmm. it. Of course. That's just where one verse sits. Mm-hmm. But in many of these, there's a whole passage in there that, right. that, that goes. Well, here's one. I just popped right open to it. Alma chapter 46, verse 35. And it came to pass that whomever of the Amalekiahites that would not enter into a covenant to support the cause of freedom, that they might maintain a free government, he caused to be put to death. Is that Moroni? That's Moroni. 
this guy, <laughs> this guy uh, you, you, there was no confusion in what he meant and what he said, as you know, that if everyone, the scriptures say, if everyone was like him, the gates of hell could not prevail. And then it continues, he caused them to be put to death, and there were but few who denied the covenant of freedom. Well, I, I hope so. <laughs> you either, you either uh, agree to, 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 to rule yourself and others by freedom or you die. I mean, that shouldn't be too much of a choice. But then many people say they're going to do it, but they don't. Uh, that's a sad thing. Um, the next verse, and it came to pass also that he caused, this is Moroni, the title of liberty to be hoisted. upon every tower which was in all the land, which was possessed by the Nephites, and thus Moroni planted the standard of liberty among the Nephites. Now, what does freedom do? Let's go to the next verse. Interesting. And they began to have peace again in the land. And thus they did maintain peace in the land until nearly the end of the 19th year of the reign of Judges. So the reign of Judges, about 125 years, was from about 91 B.C. to about 130, 135 A.D. Uh, wait a minute. From 90, yeah, to, to, that's about right, yeah. And there's so much more about it. Um, but let's just remember that the goal was to take over the judgment seat, to take over the government. And we have the prophets telling us that the greatest single threat, and there's no other prophet that has said anything different, is in this day is communism and socialism. Now, oh my gosh, there's a communist under every bed, or we have the thing, the Red Scare. You know, the opposition will make up stories about it, so it sounds like there's conspiracy theories and stuff like that. President Benson said, in the Book of Mormon, there's no conspiracy theories. It's a conspiracy fact. That's the quote from President Benson. And um, we got to wake up, plain and simple. I mean, I, we have a choice. God gives us free agency to choose. But we need to be careful because the consequences of our choices, you know. So what, what can we do? As Latter-day Saints in 2020, when Moroni is going around telling people they need to, to accept freedom or else he'll kill them, I'm assuming we don't do that in 2020. We don't have that authority. No, have, that's true. So what do we do? Remember, the Lord said, you, you need to obey the commandments, which includes uh, the, the pr principles of free government, or you will be destroyed. I mean, the, he says the same thing, but it's the Lord saying it rather than one person saying it. But yeah, again, we have choice. What are we supposed to do? What have the prophets said? President Benson, President McKay, um, uh, he was a member of the first presidency. Um, God. He was ambassador to Mexico. Does that ring a bell? Isn't that terrible? Not to me. You'll think of it. Okay, it'll come up when I'm not trying to think of it. But anyway, they say we are supposed to know the principles of the Constitution in the tradition of the founding fathers. We're supposed to be involved in the political process. We're supposed to be able to analyze a proposal by an a, a elected official or a candidate for elected office or a president. We're be, supposed to be able to analyze these things, including legislation, 
and see whether it's constitutional or not, whether it supports freedom or whether it further restricts freedom. And then we're supposed to act to the very limit of our constitutional rights, freedom of speech, freedom to peaceably assemble, and freedom to redress, to petition the government for redress of grievances. Those are in the First Amendment, by, by the way. And there's two more. Uh, I, I'm hoping your listeners would know if they don't. There are five freedoms mentioned in the uh, First Amendment, and I'll invite them to go and check it out. You may not even realize there are five. We're supposed to know the Constitution. It's not very long. It's such a teeny little pamphlet. Uh, it's in, a, in 45 minutes, you can read the whole Constitution. Now, you need to spend a whole lot more time than that studying each provision and finding out why, going back into the history. But we need to know it. We need to understand a lot of things. And there's so many things about the Constitution that are, that are totally unknown. Well, the principles are basically unknown. But here's a couple of things. I wrote a little booklet called Constitrivia. I don't know if you remember Trivial Pursuit was a really, really fun thing. And I still have the game, a board game. It's awesome. Well, I wrote a, a, a little booklet with 175 questions about the Constitution. I called it Constitrivia, the untrivial pursuit. And then I wrote a second volume, two with another 175. But here's some things about the Constitution many people don't know. First of all, women's rights. The, the Constitution is not a patriarchal document because it is gender neutral. I don't know if people know that. It doesn't mention man or woman or men or women. Those words are not in there. Interesting. It uses the word person. No person shall be president of the United States unless they have these qualifications. Isn't that interesting? Um, there's no words or talk about the separation of church and state in the Constitution. It's not there. Can, you, can, you, can we talk about that for a second? That's, <laughs> yeah. That is a common argument that I hear, especially online with individuals who say that we should not have religion in any aspect. Can you tell us where in, that... Where, in, in the public square, yeah. Where does that phrase come from? Who said it? What was the context? <laughs> tell us about it. It comes from Thomas Jefferson. And uh, when they were forming the government and... Sadly, some of the colonies, the original 13 colonies, had a, an official state church, even though it was a violation of what they already said because they came for religious freedom, but then they, then they violated others' freedom because they supported and they taxed people to support a specific church. Uh, that went away pretty quickly, but, but in those days, there was some people uh, in Danbury, Connecticut, and it was a Baptist church. And they wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson and said, how, how are, are you sure we're going to still be able to believe and exercise our religion that we, be, we believe? Or is there going to be some state church, the Church of England or congregation or whatever? He, they wanted him to assure them that there wouldn't be anybody trying to mess with them as, with their freedom of their exercise of their freedom of religion. He wrote a letter to them in the letter. He said, basically, don't worry about it, because the Constitution has erected a wall of separation. That's the literal words that Thomas Jefferson used. And the wall is to keep the church, I mean, the government, from influencing the church. In the early days before that, many times, the king, he wanted to appoint the pope. Why? 
not because he was God, but because he felt like he, you know, the, the divine right of king, so he could control the church. If he appointed the pope, then they certainly wouldn't do anything against him. Uh, and there's a lot of direct influence in, in the church by the government. And so that, that was uh, uh, not to happen. The interesting thing is, when Thomas Jefferson was president, there were Christian church meetings in the Capitol building. Uh, kind of interesting. And the Congress opens with the word of prayer. That started clear back then, not, not now. Why, it, why is it? Because they and we believe in God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, is a statement that's in the Old Testament. Um, and, and there's many others. <clears throat> Uh, George Washington, in his farewell address, he said, of all the important pillars of freedom and liberty, religion and morality are indispensable supports. And he said, if anybody tries to weaken those supports, kick his butt. Now, he didn't use that exact language. <laughs> I think he said, maybe flail his trousers. I don't know. He, 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 he said, don't, don't give any credence to somebody who tries in any way to reduce and limit those pillars. I would encourage, encourage, implore, beg, plead. In fact, I double dog dare your listeners to get a copy of and read Washington's farewell address. It was in 1796 as he was about to leave the government. He had already been elected unanimously to two terms, and he would have been elected unanimously to a third term. But he said, it's time for me to go be a private citizen, and it's time for you to get somebody else in there so we can move things about. There shouldn't be any career politicians. And he said so many things in there. He talked about unity. Uh, he, talked, he said, please watch out. Please don't have political parties because they'll be at each other's throat and they'll forget what they're supposed to be doing and just be calling each other names. And my gosh, that could be on today's newspaper front page. What a prophecy. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So please read his George Washington's farewell address. You just Google it. In fact, it never was an address. He never spoke of it. He, had, he wrote it and asked it to be printed. And on that day, I think it was September 16th, but it was 1796, it was printed in newspapers all over America and many in Europe on that very day. Uh, you can get it and you can write online, doesn't cost anything, and you can print it out if you want to, which I've done. I don't know if you remember, but you, uh, we had an assignment and you were assigned and we discussed in depth over a couple of days the, the, uh, the farewell address and I don't know. Did you have to write an essay on it? or all, all that I have to say about that is that I wish I was a better student. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we all do. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out part one of my interview with Rick Dalton. Make sure you do not miss out on part two. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't hesitate to share with a friend. And we'll catch you next time on the Faithful Perspective Podcast.